Good evening, everyone. Nice to see you all. Uh, as Mark said, this is part of a series about the resurrection. Uh, we had a fantastic term last week by Ruth uh, on is the resurrection predictable? Uh, next week, we've got uh, is it powerful? Uh, the week after, is it purposeful? And tonight, it's um, is the resurrection provable? What's the evidence? Um, now, uh, I've got evidence that I wrote this sermon because uh, there were two witnesses. I was in a cafe in Lark Hall and um, Helen Laidler came in. Uh, she was having a car MOT. I hope it got through. I don't know. Is she here tonight? No. Um, and um, Rachel Stone also came in as well. Uh, so they're, they're witnesses. That's correct, isn't it, Rachel? Yeah. It's all, all my own work. Actually, I hope it's God's work because I hope that we all get to hear what God has to say to us this evening. I've got a little something to read to you uh, which I received on my birthday some years ago. Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson went on a camping trip. In the middle of the night, Holmes awoke and nudged his faithful friend. Watson, look up at the sky and tell me what you see. Watson replied, I see millions and millions of stars. What does that tell you, Watson? Well, astronomically, it tells me that there are millions of galaxies and potentially billions of planets. Horologically, I deduce that the time is approximately a quarter past three. Meteorologically, I suspect that we will have a beautiful day tomorrow. Why? What does it tell you? Holmes was silent for a moment, then spoke. Watson, someone has stolen our tent. (laughs) Maybe you've heard that before, I don't know. Anyway. I thought it was quite funny. Now, um, the, the proof that the tent was stolen was that there was no barrier between uh, Holmes and Watson and the heavens. And uh, it's a bit like that for us because of the resurrection. So the resurrection, is it provable? Well, it all depends where you start from. You might have been asked to proofread something at some stage. You're looking to eliminate mistakes, such as stray apostrophes or split infinitives, whatever they are. Um, The proof of the pudding is in the eating. The proof. That is to say, how yummy it is. Proofreading is based on absolutes. Proof eating is based upon one's own perception of taste, flavour and texture. In fact, we have that word prove when uh, bread rises, air has been breathed into it somehow, um, and uh, the yeast has done its work. But what about proof for the resurrection? Well, depending on the culture that you've grown up in, um, you might be asking different questions. So you might be asking, what's the evidence? Or, what's in it for me? Or, am I bothered? Or, does it work? Or, is there a resurrection app for my phone? I don't know. You might be asking all sorts of questions, depending what uh, generation you are. I don't know what approach you take to asking about proof for the resurrection. But I do know that the very fact of you being here is proof that in some way God is at work in your life. You are the greatest proof for a non-believer, at least as a starting point. Most people 
when you ask them about how they came to faith, will say that someone else was involved. And I'm sure you can all think of other people who were involved in you coming to faith. It's usually someone with a faith, a strong faith, someone who's put their trust in Jesus. The resurrection is one of the key reasons to trust in Jesus. Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, as it says in the passage we had this evening. He also came down from heaven, was born, he lived as one of us, he ascended to heaven after the resurrection, as well as all the miracles he did, he showed compassion to people, he taught people along the way. There's all sorts of things that Jesus did, and the resurrection is really very key and important uh, in that lot. Well, um, I don't know if you're of a, a certain age, maybe older than about 30. Um, the, uh, the BBC used to put on um, the Top 40 on a Sunday evening uh, on the radio. And um, I've managed to rustle up 40 pieces of evidence for the resurrection. So, are you ready, pop pickers? <laughs> Yeah, so, at number 40, we have uh, the 40 days of Jesus appearing. He didn't just appear and then disappear, uh, he was hanging around for 40 days. Uh, at 39, we have the 500 witnesses. Um, there are suggestions that they could have been deluded, but then they wouldn't have all responded in the same way and all stopped being deluded when Jesus ascended, so that's a bit implausible. Anyway, so we've got 500 witnesses, um, a non-mover at 38, uh, who moved the stone? Um, it's a great book uh, and uh, basically concludes that it could only have been God. At number 37, we've got the soldiers who guarded the tomb. They were bribed uh, by the Jews to say that the disciples stole the body, even though the disciples would have been grieving. The soldiers would have been in big trouble and the stone was really properly secured. In at number 36... Uh, the reformed group Mary Mary and Salome, uh, who wanted to put embalming spices on the body. And they discussed how they would move the stone. They would have already been informed by the other disciples if the body had been moved. A new entry in at number 35, the folded grave clothes. Um, now it's been postured that the grave, grave clothes were folded up because uh, after a meal in the Mediterranean, if you didn't like it, you fold, you fold up your napkin, your serviette, and then you leave a bit grumpy. Um, and uh, the cross and all that went before that resurrection uh, was something that Jesus didn't want to go through again. It's something he doesn't have to, because he's done it all for us. Okay. Um, oh, we've got another entry for the folded grave clothes. Um, no one stealing the body, this is at number 34 if you're taking notes, no one stealing the body would have left the grave clothes lying there. That would have been silly, wouldn't it? They'd have just taken the body. Okay, uh, in at 3 and 30, we have uh, Jesus' own predictions that he would suffer and be killed and then be raised to life again. And then uh, entry into the tomb at uh, 32, uh, we've got Peter, formerly known as Simon, uh, and the other disciple who sees the empty tomb. Then at uh, 31, we've got um, Mary Magdalene 
And uh, a great sermon was preached on this about 20 years ago by Sarah Couchman. It's in this book, Meetings with Jesus. Um, they've called it stupefaction, which means she was a bit um, bewildered and all sorts of things. I don't really know what it means. But anyway, you can read this, read the sermon. Um, but essentially, it concludes that uh, Mary was overcome. She was asking lots of uh, questions. She sees two angels and someone she thinks is the gardener, who turns out to be Jesus, as he says her name, Mary, uh, which means um, bitter. So he may have also been referring to her bitter grief in saying her name. And uh, then she tells the disciples, I have seen the Lord. So um, that's a little potted bit about Mary Magdalene there. And uh, we're coming into the uh, next 30 now. Okay, number 30, uh, we've got Jesus who appears to the disciples and says, peace be with you. So he appears to them. At 29, we've got uh, Jesus showing the scars of the crucifixion, those hideous scars on his hands and his side. There is no doubt who it is who has appeared to them. At 28, uh, we have Jesus breathing on the disciples, a sure sign that he is alive. And he breathes the Holy Spirit into them. It's a sure sign that the disciples will stay alive as well. And then at 27, we've got Thomas, the doubter, who declares, my Lord and my God. He sees Jesus and believes. Then at 26, we've got the 153 fish. Um, They're not usually a witness in court. But um, anyway, we've got 153 fish, uh, an amazing catch, caught at the wrong time of day to show that Jesus is still doing miracles. And he lavishly feeds his disciples. In fact, Jesus has already had um, a miraculous breakfast of fish and bread before they rock up. Uh, Then at 25, uh, the disciples, um, a sure sign of grief and disappointment that they had gone out fishing back to their old way of life. They'd hoped so much more from Jesus than for him to be killed after following him for three years. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to the group of disciples after he was raised from the dead. Uh, And then at 24, it's another entry for Peter, formerly known as Simon, uh, with a solo encounter this time. Uh, He had denied knowing Jesus at the hour of Jesus' most desperate need. Now the risen Jesus, uh, in an amazing act of forgiveness, invites Peter to follow him again as he had at the first. Then at 23, it's another entry for Peter. This time, he's preaching to masses of people. This is not the act of a grieving disciple, but of someone empowered by the living Son of God. Death could not hold him, he says, and he records these words, you will not let your Holy One see decay. That's uh, in Acts chapter 2. And then at 22, uh, we've got the prophets, um, especially Isaiah 53, uh, 750 years before uh, the Messiah, Jesus. He says that um, the Messiah would suffer for us, and yet he would get to see his descendants. Uh, That's all believers throughout the ages. And then at uh, 21, uh, we've got the Psalms project. Uh, do get your tickets. Um, the, uh, the Psalms project into the future, some a thousand years, uh, what will happen to Jesus. And Psalm 22 tells in great detail about Jesus' death and 
um, it ends with, they will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, okay, we're coming into the uh, top 20 now. <clears throat> All right. So, um, centuries of people around the world have followed Jesus, including around a third of the world today. Uh, that would not be so if Jesus had remained in the grave. It would have been a great story with a really disappointing ending. Uh, and at 19, we've got uh, Lazarus, Jesus' close friend, who was meant to be smelling of death, but he was raised to life, indicating that Jesus would stop death being a barrier to life. Also, at 18, Jairus, a leader of the Jewish community, his daughter is raised to life. And then at 17, the Roman centurion whose servant is raised to life. All those last three, friends, Romans, countrymen, Jesus loves them all. Uh, Then at 16, we've got uh, Cleopas and the other disciple. They meet Jesus on the road to Emmaus. They don't recognize him. Jesus explains everything to them, and they finally recognize him when he breaks bread with them. Are you with me? Good, okay. Right, at 15, Jesus makes his own confession when he appears to the disciples who witness him saying, It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. He even eats some fish in front of them. So we can rule out the possibility of him being a ghost. Then at 14, uh, we have Paul, formerly known as Saul, uh, as one unnaturally born. Jesus appears to him on the road to Damascus. Uh, 13, yes, it's uh, Paul, formerly known as Saul again, who writes extensively. In fact, half the New Testament um, about uh, who Jesus is and about his impact in the lives of those around Paul and in in our lives today. And then at uh, 12, we've got Paul, formerly known as Saul again. Uh, He's been persecuting and killing Christians. This is not the action of someone towards a group of people with no power. He would have picked on someone else if the followers of Christ had been an ineffective group of people following someone who is dead. But Jesus is alive. And then in at number 11, we've got a comparison by uh, an American called Chuck Colson. I'm just going to read this to you. He writes this. I know the resurrection is a fact... And Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed the truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And they couldn't keep alive for three weeks. You're telling me that 12 apostles could keep a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. Okay, uh, pop pickers, we're coming into our top 10 now. Okay. Right, in at number 10, we've got uh, the stoning of Stephen. Awful event. In fact, probably many of the disciples... Uh, were put to death. And um, then at nine, we've got those martyrs through the ages. Loads of people have died on the strength of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. 
And then uh, in at eight, we've got preachers and teachers all around the world who go on proclaiming new life in the risen Lord Jesus. And number seven, we've got historians including Eusebius and Pliny and others. I don't know who they are, but uh, if you're a historian, you probably know. Um, Anyway, all sorts of folks who testify to the events of Easter with nothing to gain particularly. They've just recorded history at that time. And then at number six, we've got Christian writers down the ages who write about the power of the resurrection in each generation. Um, I've got some some lovely books here, if you want to borrow them. Uh, This one's People in the Passion of Jesus. And uh, this is a very old one, written in 1950, I think. Uh, The Evidence for the Resurrection is really sort of gets um, into the nitty-gritty. And then um, this one by Henry Nouwen uh, with Burning Hearts. And um, anyway, there's some great stuff in there. So see me after if you want to borrow any of those. <clears throat> and at number five, uh, we've got our creeds, and we sung one of them earlier. Um, our own confession of faith. We believe in Jesus who died, was buried, and rose again for us. At number four, we've got the empty tomb. The tomb was empty. At number three, we've got baptism. People who are baptised and get to testify to the work of Jesus in their lives as the old life is put to death in the waters of baptism and the new pure life with God is embarked upon. It's wonderful. Uh, And then at number two, we've got the Holy Spirit. He testifies with our spirit that Jesus is alive. It's personal and a communal experience. But who can argue with that? Who can argue with our own experiences? And then at the top spot this week, number one, yes, it's us. Each of us has evidence of the power of the resurrection, not just in the Bible or in creeds or in what other people have written, but in the day-to-day outworking of Jesus in our lives as well as specific moments we can point to. You cannot make someone believe in the risen Jesus. And although there's tons of proof of which we've just scratched the surface tonight, I know that when someone encounters Jesus, an amazing transformation happens and death is no longer a barrier to us. We have a new life of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, grace, forgiveness for sin, mercy, peace, a hope that endures, love. And all these things are done because of Jesus, through Jesus, and for Jesus, for eternity. As verse 19 in our passage says, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. I do not pity you. I rejoice with you that Jesus is alive and his resurrection changes everything. Can people see that resurrected life in you? Amen.